to another episode of Bits and Bites. Today we have a special guest, Tom Fitzgerald. Um, Tom, I'll let you quickly introduce yourself. Um, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me on. <laughs> of course. No, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Uh, my name is Tom Fitzgerald, as you, you said. Uh, I am, I guess I'm two things. I have a secret identity, which is um, a quote-unquote anonymous, not so much anymore, uh, coffee blogger. Um, I run a website called VancouverCoffeeSnob.com uh, and a spin-off company that is now my full-time gig, which is called Sipply, which is a mobile app that curates the best coffee shops in Vancouver and saves you a ton of money inside them when you use it to buy drinks. Awesome. And now, Tom, I think you have a very special cup here with, with you on the show. <laughs> I'll just quickly show our guests that are watching on YouTube. Like... Total coincidence that I decided <laughs> to use this for this specific podcast, but yeah. You got to plug when you got to plug though, right? <laughs> totally. Yeah. VancouverCoffeeSnob.com, the um, most illiterate coffee blog on the internet that just got really popular. <laughs> yeah. I mean, speaking of cool cups, like I think Sam, I'm not sure if you have one over there. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you can go first. I'll go after. I mean, I don't really have a cool story to this, to be honest. Like, I just—it's love- awesome though. <laughs> what? What, it, what am I looking at? It's uh. So the cat itself is called Pusheen. Have you guys? Nice. I, I think it originated. With I've seen a Pusheen on- at Indigo. Yeah. No, it went yeah. crazy. Like the artist started doing the emoticons on Facebook, and I think that's where it just like exploded. Because then it turned into you know like plushies. It turned into T-shirts, like stickers. Like it's a total globe. Like they even have lamps now. It's really nice. awesome. And that's that's where Gene Savings account goes. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. I think they have emojis like official ones on Facebook Messenger too. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. 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 So I know my stuff darling of the world <laughs> um my cup is a jam cafe cup for those of you that are <gasps> listening to this and oh focus oh. in whatever um it's really interesting so so my wife's name starts with j and then obviously i'm sam so so like a lot of our close friends call us uh-huh. jam <laughs> um but this cup like like tom worked out of our launch offices so he knows how close by jam cafe is but mm-hmm. the first jam cafe was actually in victoria before it expanded over to Gastown. And my parents happened to be like on vacation in, in Victoria and they found jam cafe. They didn't know, like there's a lot bit of hype around like brunch places. Right. But they didn't know any of that. Cause, cause you know, they just walked in and then they're like, Hey, cool. Like, I think my son would like this. <laughs> so, so she asked the waitress if she could buy two cups and they were like, yeah, sure. 10 bucks each. And that's the story. I didn't steal these cups. I was just going to say, like, <laughs> you know, I didn't know they stole those cups. They don't, but I think the, they were just like, well, I guess, uh, sure, I guess. <laughs> Every other cup in your cupboard is stolen, just not those two specific ones. I mean, like, I got an awful lot of launch cups. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where they're all going. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. But um, I, th- I think a great place to start is, Tom, what are you drinking? And it's coffee for those listeners. <laughs> um, so I actually brought the bag down with me. You sent me an email just before this podcast kicked off and said, oh, I hope it's a geisha. And I was like, ah, oh, damn it. I know I've got to go and make myself a geisha. So <laughs> <laughs> it is actually. Or actually, I mean, so let's see if we can kind of get oh, rid of my yeah. face there. So this is uh, from Palette Coffee Roasters. And um, you'll see it's actually geisha, not geisha. Um, geisha is just the, um, the cultivar or the village or whatever. It kind of depends on who you're talking to at that time of day kind of thing. Um, but it is a exceptionally floral coffee. It's like, I described it as like drinking a bunch of flowers, which unless you know about floral coffee, that actually sounds pretty disgusting, but it tastes <laughs> like coffee just with a very floral kind of tea, like quality to it. Um, but it's, uh, it's pretty special. So if I have a cup of Timmy's and, and I chew on a rose, is that similar? <sighs> I haven't ever tried that. Um, <laughs> I'm going to assume, like, if you were to drink um, oil from a car, from a very, very old car, and also flowers as well, do you think that it would taste floral? Or do you think that it would taste like shitty old oil? Not that I'm insinuating that Tim Horton's coffee is shitty old oil. I service to shitty I mean, old oil. you're just burning bridges five minutes into the show. I mean, I, I don't think there is a bridge between me and Tim Hortons. I, I'm, I've been very vocal about how I dislike that coffee. Um, yeah, so, so many can Canadians are, are are up in arms right now, just listening to this. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I guess chew now. It's only going to get worse. 
<laughs> Arsh, I was going to ask you, like, what are your thoughts then on like other, you know, fast food coffees? Like, have you ever tried them? Like, because I know uh, like McDonald's, I heard, you know, people are, you know, pretty happy with McDonald's coffee. I personally can't really tell it to me. It's just like caffeine. But, you know, what do you think? Like McDonald's rating out of 10. Let's just uh, say for like a fast food coffee level, not, you know, artisanal, but. I mean, for fast food coffee, I'd give it a two. I, I just don't. I don't think there is any good fast food coffee. Um, I don't. I don't really like the very, very dark roasted stuff at the best mm. of times. Um, it's very difficult to do it well. And the, I mean, the the buying process and the markets that they use and the types of coffee don't really help in general the specialty coffee market. And that's where my love lies. Mm-hmm. Um, no disrespect to anyone that drinks it. You can, you know, it's if it's a start a lot for a lot of people, it's a starting block into specialty coffee. Um, Sam, you gave me instant coffee once, and I was very vocal about how I didn't like that. But that's cool. <laughs> You're drinking coffee, right? It's it's that first step. And now we've got you going to craft cafe, drinking geishas, and all sorts of stuff <laughs> that you probably would never have done if you hadn't have started into coffee. Um, but to answer your question, uh, I hear that McDonald's coffee is the best of a bad bunch having tried it i don't really get what the love about it is these people that that like it might be putting five sugars and a bunch of cream in it not sure yeah i mean they're definitely very heavy-handed with the sweetener so it's a nice perk (laughs) hence me being a coffee snob right it's not my specialty isn't cheap fast food coffee it's that kind of higher end stuff I was kind of hoping your specialty would be instant coffee, but I guess I didn't quite convince you the last time the last you were on a launch podcast. Um, there might be some future for, for instant coffee, in my opinion. There are a few companies out there that are trying to make it better. Um, and I'm, I've done some experiments myself, uh, but watch this space with that. Yeah. Was it the Korean type of instant coffee or? No, no, this oh. would be North American. Ah, I see. I see. Thanks, Sam. I thought you were going to, you know, bring up the, uh, what are the maxims? Like Korea is so popular with instant coffee. Like they have advertisements all the time. And you just see that little golden packet is like with a model next to it. And they're like, maxims. In the UK, it's Maxwell House. And (laughs) over here, there's Nescafe. And yeah, there's a bunch of different Well, that's where like the whole like Dalgona coffee kind of craze came Mm -hmm. from was like getting those instant packets and, and you know, yeah. blending yeah. for an hour. Yeah. Remember Dalgona coffee and how it was the world's <laughs> biggest thing for two weeks. I, I had this idea where I was like, this is a stupid trend. I hate it. I made it at home. And I was like, this is disgusting. Um, how can I write? Cause everyone had written about it. Instagram posted about it. And I was like, Oh, how can I do this in, in like a unique way that would get me, you know, a load of coverage. And I, and I, I tried to do, the first, as far as I'm aware, mushroom, powdered mushroom, instant coffee, Dalgona coffee, and I failed miserably. It was an absolute disaster. It tasted even worse than normal. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah, I haven't got much to say about that, unfortunately. <laughs> wow. I mean, okay, I can tell, you know, like you got that uh, I can see why Sipley and your coffee blog came up. Like, so actually this might be a good time then. Can you tell us a bit more then and to your audience, especially like what is Sipley? Right. Uh, so Sipley is a spin-off. It's kind of an evolution from Vancouver Coffee Snob. And just to kind of dial it back a little bit more, Vancouver Coffee Snob is just a blog about local coffee shops. I do reviews, I do news, I do top 10 lists, that kind of stuff. And so I started to get to know lots of people in the coffee industry. And um, I wanted to, doing a review or doing a top 10 um, on the site, on the Vancouver Coffee Snob blog, would drive loads of people into the, the shops. But it would mm-hmm. it would last for a month, maybe, maybe only a few weeks. And then people would forget about it or move on to a different one or it wasn't top of mind for them. So I wanted to find a way to scale helping coffee shops. And so I actually asked them what their their top three problems were uh number one was recruitment and keeping staff and i tried doing a job board and i failed miserably at that it was just never happened mm. um but the other two were sales and marketing and so i thought okay um you know the, the big problems with those being they can't afford marketing and they can't afford to pay for a salesperson it's way too expensive to you know have someone trying going out into the city trying to convince people to come into a coffee shop so i thought is there something I can do with my tech background that might be able to 
nail the the problems down for for coffee shops and then scale it and so Sipley was my as many ideas before it but Sipley was the idea that kind of came into fruition and and the idea was is I would be the marketer for the coffee shop or for several coffee shops there's 52 now um, wow. and I would be the commission only salesperson for them so I'll bring them a, I'll market their shop and I will bring them a customer and I'll push them through the front door and then they take over and they give them great service and they sell them muffins and cookies and all that kind of stuff. And the way I get people in, uh, apart from, you know, just creating a nice community and curating the shops on the app so that only the best are there and you never end up wandering into a bad one. Um, what I do is I give the users of the app a discount on coffee, well, on drinks when they get into that shop. So a latte might cost you five bucks if you use the credit card, but if you go through Sipley, then it'll cost you four bucks. And that little kind of dollar off is a little thing that kind of convinces people to use the app and then head to those coffee shops. And then the coffee shop owners take over, sell them a muffin, sell them a cookie, sell them brunch, that kind of stuff. That's awesome. And like, that's great. Especially like when you look at um, the landscape of, you know, especially hard downtown where a lot of the workspaces are, there's so many coffee shops. And generally, I think, you know, personally, people will just kind of try to go somewhere that's on the way to work or something. But it definitely, I think, opens up so many opportunities for people to try new coffee shops. Like maybe mm. they found one that hey, it's like actually just a minute off from my normal path. Let's give it a try. Dollar off. That's amazing. Like, Yeah, happens all the time. Yeah. Except for the downtown part. Not many people are going downtown at the moment. That's oh, the yeah. <laughs> coffee shops down there are struggling and gas town as well. Rents are high. Not many people there at the moment because lots of people are working from home. So mm-hmm. it's really been the year of community coffee shops. Yeah. Well, that's the crazy part because like, full disclosure like we had tom on our previous show at launch so we've gone through a bit of this and and uh, tom is a longtime launch alumni so we've known about sipley for for quite a while right Mm -hmm. but like my personal experience with sipley is it's it's creating trips now right like obviously i'm not just going to delta or, or north van or whatever for a coffee but in this day and age where where like you know you you your trips have to be valuable like and, and like, we're not, I'm, I'm going to be very careful about how I say this because I don't want to encourage people to go out. Right. But on those kind of mental breaks that you just need to, you know, go outside for in new West, one of my favorite places now for, for a walk or something, right. Like that, that becomes like the designation that or destination is the, is the word I'm looking for mm-hmm. as opposed to like, Hey, this store down the street from me, um, is is on simply like i don't i I found that i've used had that use case very little but it's more like coffee shop discovery you've actually just given me a really good idea of a blog post there and it could be you know great parks or great walks around simply coffee shops because you're right it's it's now the people are they're not going to other shops anymore. They're just going to shops on the Sipley network because that's how they buy their coffee now. And so, especially with the new ones, people go, oh, okay, well, what's around that area? I want to go check that out. And they otherwise may not have known about it or may have known about it, but but not gone for whatever reason. And this just gives them that extra push. And it's given coffee shops loads of new customers. It's been fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, how I want to ask, like, have have you seen like how other you know coffee shops that are currently struggling with you know COVID, the pandemic, and you know lack of I guess um, organic discovery? Like, um, what are some ways that you've seen um, some of the coffee shops you partnered with try to battle against that? Ooh, yeah, it's a great question. Um, so uh, interestingly enough, when all of this kicked off, I simply sales essentially went to zero overnight. It was a bit of a scary moment really uh, because everybody was staying indoors and so i actually pivoted um i'm still sort of there but but kind of came back to simply it's much better now but i pivoted into pro bono absolutely for free helping coffee any coffee shop that needed my help didn't have to be on the simply uh network um kind of survive so i helped them build online stores to sell um you know beans uh kind of take home stuff so it could, it could be beans cups brewing equipment that kind of thing uh help them design and implement gift cards so that people who love their local coffee shop could you know buy a 200 gift card just to kind of give the coffee shop some money just mm-hmm. to make it through and pay bills and things like that um 
I've, I've done tons of help with uh, d- kind of online marketing strategies, keeping your audience engaged and, and keeping people re- that can, to get them to remember your brand. Even if you might be closed or struggling, you know, you, there's no reason why you can't be talking about yourself and, and providing content to people. Um, I've been helping people kind of design. Uh, so for example, there was a, a period where most coffee shops, you couldn't actually go into the coffee shop. So I kind of helped them strategize out, okay, well, how do we turn this door into a, a hatch or are there any windows? Can we just open a window and serve coffee out of that window? Um, I think that's kind of died off a little bit now. People are now, lots of coffee shops have got their doors open and you can go in and you can sit down and they've worked out how to partition everything uh, off. Um but I think I did, I did a massive survey and I think one of the major things that came out of it is that um, people are just, are just worried about other people. And so one of the things I, I think a lot of coffee shops have cottoned on to and, and really done to help, you know, compete in this COVID world is to make sure that, um, you know, everybody's separated, everyone's wearing masks, everything's clean. Um, if you've got booths, they've got partitions up between them. For example, Cafe Portrait in the West End has, has essentially built big wooden frames with plastic between them. It looks awesome. And you're all in your own little cubicles when you're in there. And it, it feels really, really safe. Um, and there, are, there have been a few coffee shops that have kind of fallen by the wayside and haven't survived. But it's been pretty cool to see um, most coffee shops adapt and limp by i've been telling them that they don't have to get bigger they don't have to expand they don't have to make a million dollars they just have to survive until all of this is over mm-hmm. and that's like i think first of all kudos to you for for trying to support in your own way yeah. um but i kind of want to dive a little bit deeper because of your background as a technologist right um and you get this very unique vantage point of seeing COVID's impact on on retail um i'm just mm-hmm. going to broaden it a little bit right like are there things that technologists could be doing to support it? Because I, I think as, as a generality, and I'm going to go out on a limb here, a lot of, and I won't say that COVID hasn't affected this industry, but we've been blessed compared to many industries that have just had to close the doors, no other way around it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like from, from that standpoint, like what are you seeing things that maybe are being done to support things like retail um, and what more could be done? You think? That's that's a really good question and probably one that I've only really thought of from my perspective. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I can give you an example. Maybe I'll, I'll give you an easy example that's simply of something we did, and then maybe we can extrapolate out of that as stuff comes into my head. Um, so one of the things that was a problem with Sipley is you pre-COVID, you would go in and you'd hand your phone to the barista mm. and then punch a code into to it. And as soon as COVID hit, you know, you can't touch people's phones now. You can't get up close and personal. So we shifted to a model that um, is now voice um, oh. only. Oh. So, um, or <laughs> Sam, I know you use Sipley and you went, oh, so <laughs> I'm hoping that the coffee shops have shifted to this. Um, the idea being that they now tell you a code. So the, the barista will know a code to tell you, and then they tell you, you put it in your phone and you show them that the, uh, yeah. that it was successful. Uh, what we're also shifting to in the future, which we're working on right now is it's going to be, um, you walk in and you say, I'm order one, two, three, four, and they look it up on their point of sale. And they accept order one, two, three, four, and it shows it on their screen. And you can, you know, shout across the shop or from outside or something like that. So the reason we did that is that uh, we just spoke to people and we were, we asked them what the problems were and they didn't want people touching their phones. And that was, that was actually a no brainer that we'd already thought of even before we'd spoken to people, but it was, it's thinking like that, that looking for the problems that that occur and, and then, coding your way around them is essentially what we did there. Um, yeah. So I guess to answer your question about what other technology companies could do, um, I mean, it's not very tech, but I did stuff like I implemented for any of the services that people pay me for. I set the um, payment terms to 180 days. I was like, mm-hmm. look, you, you guys can't pay me now. Pay me whenever you can. 180 days is, is more than enough. Um free commissions on things like that. Um, anyone that's, that, that's in need of free services where we can supply them, that's, that's what I've tried to do. Um, not, like I said, not very technologically um, kind of 
solution based, but certainly something a tech company can do because we don't have a brick and mortar store. We don't have staff, that kind of stuff. It's very easy for us to, to implement that kind of thing. Yeah. Cause I mean, I mean, from my perspective, like I definitely see a couple of things that probably you're already doing without thinking about it, but like one of honestly, one of the biggest technological advances from a store I regularly go to isn't new tech at all. Um, and the answer was our Walmart's finally started getting touchless payment. Uh, oh, right. <laughs> and for the longest time, like, you know, touch, you know, tap pay by tap has been around a long time. Right. And, and stores have implemented it, but Walmart was like kind of that one stubborn dude that just was like, Nope, stick your card in for your $4 <laughs> right. purchase. Okay. Um, and, and this kind of finally pushed them over the edge. Cause they're like, well, like our queues are like 50 people deep. We can't have each of them. Like, and then I have to spray the the thing every yeah. time. Right. Yeah. Um, um, so that's been huge, but like, I think on a generality, like I've been surprised by how so many businesses that, and, and I'm, I'm going to focus on the small business sector because Walmart, I think is an anonymy, but, but like they, they haven't felt a need or a push to, to advance technologically. Right. So, so mm. things like if you're a restaurant or a coffee store, having a menu available, having an online ordering system, like these aren't things that, that will cost you tens of thousands of dollars anymore. Right. Like uh. maybe in, in 2002, like you had to hire a, a web dev, like you know, your former self, mm -hmm. um, and they'd have to go in and fix it. But there's, there's, there's so many, there's Wixes, there's different things, um, where you can accept money and it's safe and it's, you don't need to be a, a developer to do so. And, and it's just, from my perspective, it's been so surprising that these people are so good at whatever it is their business is about, whether they're selling, you know, small goods or, or food or, or whatever, but this, like the pandemic has really forced them to be like, well, I guess I'd better get on Uber Eats or else I'm screwed. Yeah. Right? And that's not the best example. Like we, I don't really want to go into the debate about like the, the rev share between Uber and the restaurants and whatever, but, but just as a generality, like I'm just noticing like, like there's been a clear technological push from what I consider traditional businesses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, no, I, I especially think it's great because um, I've worked in, like, for example, like the hospitality industry quite a little while, um, both back end and front end as manager. And it's just like, you know, it was a little frustrating, right? Because the there's like two parts to it. Like a lot of the software that a lot of restaurants use, they're very old or outdated. And the main reason is because it's expensive to upgrade. And then the second part is like, you know, when you work at whether it's like a large chain or a small change, it's just the learning curve, I think, is also um, an issue, too. Like sometimes restaurants just don't have that time or resource to train their employees. But um, like Sam said, it's in a way that like it's very one of the positive impacts of this pandemic is that it has forced the hands of these businesses to, you know what? this is a time for the change. And hopefully I think that does open more doors for new ideas, especially in the tech industry to help improve those services and um, actually find, you know, um, sort uh, like issues or um, new solutions and such. Cause like before, um, you know, tap or tap was very common, but um, POS systems that were completely online and stuff, um, they weren't really necessary. So there wasn't actual like enough sampling or experience, user experience to actually figure out where the mm -hmm. you know kinks are and stuff. So I think it's, it's I think it's great. So <laughs> there's also this um, fear as well in mm -hmm. in companies where they're like, okay, well, it ain't broke, so don't fix it, um, and that stifles many big companies. It just seems to be like right a passage for for large corporations to kind of get safe rather than get get edgy um and so we, i mean we saw in what a month most major companies that certainly i've had contact with in my it consultancy days they went from big offices downtown paying god knows how much per square foot to everybody working at home and if you'd have bought that up a year ago and said right well we could say 50 grand a month if we just sent everybody home, people would go, no, nope, can't be done. Just think of all these things that have to fall in line to do it. Mm -hmm. And then sure enough, we worked it out in like a month when all of this kicked <laughs> off, probably less than that. It, it, it can be done, but I don't know. I don't know if people are lazy or people are just safe or, or what, but um, I kind of like taking those risks. I've done all sorts of stupid crap that has and hasn't worked. Um, and it's great to be able to kind of, you know, test the waters and, and so on. Uh, and That's, I think 
Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Sam. Go for it. Well, I was just going to say, like, that's, I think that's part of you being a, a tech founder. And, and I'd say, as a generality, in terms of professions, tech founders tend to be more risky than, say, an IT consultant, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, go for it, Jane. Yeah. Oh, no. I just wanted to add on, like, this actually kind of leads up to a really good um, discussion point, too, is like, what makes a good entrepreneur? Because, you know, you've mentioned already, in the past too, like businesses need to pivot. When a problem arises, you got to learn how to pivot. If you're stuck in your old ways, you know, all you can do left is just to flop if, especially Mm -hmm. when you're facing such a big crisis like this. So I guess kind of like adding into that, like what other, you know, qualities do you think makes a strong entrepreneur? It's a good question. And I don't consider myself a strong entrepreneur. So it's kind of hard to to reflect on any of the things I've done. I, I do I, I agree with you with with pivoting um, in insofar as if you are stuck spinning your wheels or trying something and it's failing and failing and failing that was that quote the, the definition of insanity is trying the same thing over and over and expecting a different outcome mm-hmm. um, p- pivoting uh, p- so pivoting when I got started into this entrepreneur stuff I always thought that pivoting was like okay well we, we got a coffee app and we just noticed that apples are really um, good. So we should probably buy an orchard. I thought it was that. Um, but pivoting can be um, almost like um, evolution of a company. It can be, so Sipply started off, or the idea of Sipply started off as um, buying big bags of coffee, breaking them down into lots of smaller little bags and selling a subscription service. And it's now a, a technology company. So essentially I, I worked out, you know, where to go in what direction and then came up with this um so yeah definitely strength in in pivoting um going back to the question what, what was it it was what makes a good entrepreneur mm-hmm. um i think you have to be a little bit mad to be an entrepreneur <laughs> like like just a little something not quite right with you because it's not safe it's it's terrifying at times um, the, the lows are really low. The highs are really high. Like I can, I can think of probably one of the, the craziest moments I had was I, I was walking around, um, superstore and I, and I didn't have a panic attack, but I was about as close as I could get to having a panic attack. Cause everything I thought about, Oh God, what if this doesn't work? What happens if, you know, I lose all the money that I put into it and like really started to panic. And you have to be able to kind of take those on the chin and just keep going forward. Um, I think tenacity probably plays a part in that as well in that I, I kind of firmly believe that at times the reason simply has been successful is just because I haven't given up and I've just kept going because it's really really hard um especially as I'm a solo founder and I have I've still been I'm still have been and I'm still looking for a co-founder or someone to join but haven't found anyone that's mad enough to to join this ride um but it's it's hard work to to do it on your own, and I think to to just keep going when other people might stop. I think that probably a lot of entrepreneurs will say that that's part of what makes an entrepreneur successful, or at least competent. Um, just to pinch in on that a little bit, like we definitely have entrepreneurs that come in and they say, you know, you have to be crazy. It is really hard. What's, what's so hard? Like try and try and paint a picture because I think, I think listeners out there, some people maybe are, are, you know, right now they're saying right on Tom, I'm right there with you. It's hard for me too. And I think there's other people outside (laughs) looking in that, that are like, it doesn't seem so bad. You get to drink coffee all day. Meet people, you know, you know what I mean. Like, I'm yeah, sure yeah, somebody's schedule. thinking that as well, right? Like, so, so I, I, I kind of want to help help listeners paint that more mm-hmm. holistic picture, right? Obviously, there's good points, and I don't want to just emphasize on bad things. But let's start there. Like, what what is so hard about being a solo founder, being in you know in full control of well, literally your your career and, and everything, right? Um, yeah, let's start there. Right. So to, to mirror what you just said, it, it is awesome, right? There's so much fun to be had and I don't want to paint a bad picture of it, but, um, but yeah, it, it, it's really hard. Uh, I guess a, an example I could give is um, think about like a time when you may have worked in an office with a boss and a boss and another boss and a manager and then a director and a CEO and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, and something goes wrong and um, shit hits the fan and you need to turn to somebody and perhaps you've got someone above you that can take some flack for maybe something that you broke or maybe a customer's pissed off and you need to escalate it to someone who has a better title than you so that they feel a little bit more 
you know, taken care of. Um, that doesn't exist for, for me. So I, I've had, um, you know, the, the, pretty rare, but I've had people who have not had a great experience in a coffee shop using Sipply and have been pissed off. And there's, you know, the buck stops with me. I have to find a solution to this. I can't palm it off onto anybody else, even if I'm having a bad day or I'm hungover or something like that. It, it all falls on you. And it doesn't just fall on you that one day. It falls on you 24 hours a day, every single day of the, the, the week, every single week of the, the month and month of the year. Um, it's the, the, the pressure that's on because of that um, is, is pretty intense. Um, and I'm, I'm still, I, I'm, it's just me here doing, doing this full time. I have contractors that I use for various tasks, um, but I don't have any full-time employees, so I don't have people working with me that I can kind of delegate to for, for certain things. So, and especially in the early days, you won't probably won't have the budget for that. So it's, it's, it's very difficult from, from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, talking from a solo founder perspective, um, it's, it's really lonely. And that sounds a bit worries me and a bit weird. Um, but this comes up, you just have to Google it. This comes up really often with, with solo founders. Um, bouncing ideas off of people, for example. So if I, if I have an idea for a new feature and I want to sound it out with someone, there's no co- co-founder to my left that I can turn to and go, hey, Bob, what do you think about this? Uh, so you, you have to get used to um, living in your own little bubble with no one else to talk to. And you can have mentors and you can talk to your wife in my case about it, but there's only a certain limit that they, other people want to hear about that kind of stuff. Um, and then on top of that, that, that you're not just in the past, I was an IT consultant and I was really good at it. And I knew my role really well and I knew all my technologies. And now I know a little bit of accounting and I know a ton of marketing and I know, um, I did sales in my previous role, but you know, I know more about sales um, and I know about sales management. Um, and now I know about product management and managing a team overseas in Armenia, um, dealing with um, random stuff that happens from a technical perspective that I've never dealt with before. Um, dealing with new personalities in coffee shops, um, dealing with two marketplaces. So I've got B2C and uh, so that's the users of Sipply. And now, now I have to learn how to juggle 52 different coffee shops and their individual needs and the, the kind of relationship management that goes through it. So you, what you, you end up being is a kind of a Swiss army knife. And that's both one of the most fun parts of entrepreneurship, but also very, very difficult because a lot of the skills um, are, were brand new to me. A- accounting, like I never filled in corporate taxes before. The stuff's boring to me. I can <laughs> barely do my own taxes. And it's like I click a few buttons on simpletax.ca and it, I had to learn, you know, like what profit and loss sheets are and uh, how wave I use wave apps to do my bookkeeping. And, you know, all of that stuff is just uh, new stuff to learn. Um, so you end up kind of getting quite bogged down with a lot of that stuff. Um, and, learning those new skills takes time and that's time away from growing your company potentially or talking to new coffee shops or working out how to do a successful Facebook ad campaign. And there's another Pandora's box of bullshit. You go into Facebook ads or Google ads, you just start throwing money into a, into a endless chasm of whatever. And you have to kind of work out what to do. Oh, I think my camera just died. Probably a good time to stop the rant anyway. Um, <laughs> give me one second. I'm just going to, uh, I'm going to sort that camera out. I think no I worries. put a new battery in it. I think there's definitely a lot to, to unpack there. Um, but, but like, I, I think what you talked about earlier, just talking about tenacity. Um, I don't know, Gene, can you relate to that? Because, because I know you have your own, um, you're starting your own kind of what we call side hustles in the millennial, I mean, the millennial age, like how, is, is tenacity something you're you're born with or you got to build on? I mean, honestly, like, I just want to say, like, every point that, you know, Tom, you brought up, like, I was just like, in my head, I'm just like, yes, yes, totally. Like, <laughs> it's, it's hard because, like, um, I guess in a way, I'm like a solo founder as well. So a lot of the ideas and a lot of the business plans I have want to execute, it's just kind of like, okay, well, 
is this going to work? Like I can rely on my partner to kind of bounce some ideas off, but in the end, like he's not as involved in the process as I am. So, um, but when it comes to tenacity, I think I want to say that it is something that you kind of naturally build up. Um, not just speaking from the entrepreneurial aspect, but just, you know, through life when hardships happen, when, you know, like it starts when you're a kid, right? Like whether, you know, you join sports, maybe you're not as great of a sports team player, but, you know, you want to keep going because you love it and you kind of build this kind of resistance to failure. Um, But then on the flip side of things, I also think that not everyone is absolutely cut out to be an entrepreneur, if that kind of makes sense. Like, I don't know, Tom, maybe if you want to put some thoughts into this, but um, for me personally, like, I think, like you said, like everyone needs that little bit of madness because it's um, not an easy, yeah, (laughs) it's definitely not an easy pathway to go down. And I don't think it's a matter of being born with a certain set of skills or personality, but it's a matter of how much you really want to do something or how much passion you have to do it. And with that tenacity, I think just kind of comes more naturally along with how much passion you have towards building that future for yourself. Um, but yeah, no, I don't know. (laughs) I think you said a lot without, without saying that you don't know, but, but just, just to fire it back to, to Tom, like, like we're, we're talking about, you know, taking a lot of gut punches as, as an entrepreneur, like when you have to deal with a bad customer or a bug fix or a bad, or a bad customer experience with the bug fix or the lack of a bug fix, or the fact that they don't care you're, you're in London right now visiting your parents and you're eight hours ahead. And, and they're like, we can't get our coffee and Mm -hmm. three in the morning for you or whatever. Um, but, but like on the flip side of that, like what keeps you going to keep taking those punches? That's a great question. And that's a much more happy question to, to answer <laughs> there. Um, I, I think it's the, okay, I keep in regular contact with my, my users and I, I take, do surveys. I have a, a group that I call the insiders who I, I throw all sorts of ideas at and get feedback. And, um, and just talk to general customers and also the coffee shops as well. So what keeps me going is that I get great feedback from people who say that they've never been to this coffee shop before and now they have and they had a great experience or thanks to you, I now you know, bought a, my first grinder at home or whatever it might be, some form of kind of progression through their coffee journey um, all the way to the coffee shop saying, this is brilliant, you, um, you know, this promotion or shout out that you did doubled our foot traffic last week, that kind of thing. Really what, what it boils down to is that, but this is from stems from the Vancouver coffee snob blog is that really all I want to do is grow the coffee scene. I think Vancouver has got an awesome coffee scene and there's always room to grow it and make it better and make it truly world-class and to help with that in my own way, having never been a barista and, you know, that really having a background in tech rather than coffee and just kind of learning the coffee stuff over the last six, seven years. Um, it's pretty satisfying. It, it's pretty, it's pretty great to see that, that progression. Um, and I'll be honest as well. It is nice to see the numbers going up each month. So seeing your revenues going up and seeing your amount of users that are, um, coming into the, the ecosystem go up each month. Um, and navigating through, I don't know, the COVID stuff where I'm thinking like, oh, crap, am I just going to have to close this down and refund everybody for all their credit that they've got to then becoming, okay, well, we, we fixed it. We, we, we got over this and, you know, now we're expanding and, uh, you know, growing again. That kind of stuff is tremendously satisfying. And, and what I would say to anyone that wants to start something is, is work out what those things are and keep those in mind for for the days where or sometimes the weeks and months where it's hard and you're kind of you're down and it's it's you're not enjoying it as much as you thought you might do if you can remember what those things are and then go after them uh, a good example for me is bringing on new shops i love going to speak to new shops and i love bringing them on board and then you know publishing all the photos and telling people about them and doing blog posts and stuff like that. And that I've noticed when I don't have that. So over December, probably actually, I think 
it was like from October to early January, I hadn't been out to a coffee shop to, to onboard or meet anybody because all the restrictions kicked in again and I wanted to do my part. That really affected me. And then when I started to work out how to do it all online and via Zoom and convince people that, you know, I can't come in, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to talk to you on the phone. Everybody wants to meet me. Um, then uh, it got good again. Like it was pretty satisfying. I onboarded two two new shops last week at uh, United Strangers in North Vancouver and O5Ts on, in Kitsilano. Now it's pretty great being able to hit that publish in uh, inside later and uh, send up a a post to Instagram. Shout out to another uh, launch alumni later dot com right there. That's right, they are, aren't they? Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to say though, did you close those sales over Zoom? Um. So let me think. N- not entirely. Uh, I had to go in to do some training for United Strangers and I'd met those guys a bunch of times before. Mm-hmm. 05, I did go in, but then closed the rest over over email and uh, the phone. I do have a few, I have another three that are hopefully coming on board soon that are, have been done completely over, uh, actually it's mostly over the phone, which is surprising. Oh. Yeah. What's what's that adjustment been like? Because I think so much of, of your current sales strategy is is going in and building a rapport with with the shops right but now we're we're doing that i mean obviously we're remote right now but but doing that entire kind of value proposition through the phone or through zoom or whatever like how have you had to adjust (laughs) i've had to get very good at um working out what people want to hear over the phone and trying to guess what their facial expressions are like uh the, the sales process like when you're sitting in front of someone i'm i'm just i'm really good at picking up on what people are thinking and extrapolating my ideas off of that and, and expanding out the conversation and driving it forward and, and so on um doing it remote has sucked it, it no two words about it it's been incredibly difficult uh i don't know how long-term scalable it could possibly be uh one of the things is like because i've got this big brand behind me this vancouver coffee snob brand everybody that hasn't met me before because i'm sort of anonymous everybody wants to meet me and 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 work out who i am um and then so when i first go to a coffee shop to meet someone to just chat about sipley i put aside a minimum of three hours and the first two to two and a half hours are just talking about coffee and and then it doesn't take much to close after that. I have like a 95% close rate on, on if I can get in front of a, a coffee shop. Um, so that kind of that rapport building is, it, I, I, I just don't see how it can be properly done in any other way other than in front of people um, to, to the most efficient way. It can be done. It's just going to take longer like it has over the phone and chasing people up over email and that kind of stuff. Um, but I, I, I hope I can get in front of people again soon. It's, it's, it's one of the things I, I really kind of feel like one of the job. openers is, wow, you're really tall in person. By the way, Tom is Holy. Really tall in <laughs> You know, what? so I get a few things. I get, wow, you're really tall. I get, <laughs> oh, I kind of figured that you'd be an Asian woman. Um, because, because <laughs> you know, like the ninety percent of the food influences in, oh, in Vancouver yeah. are Asian women. Um, and then what? What else do I get? Oh, I get. Um, oh, where in Australia are you from? And I go, oh, I'm not from Australia. And they go, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. Where in New Zealand are you from? <laughs> and then that's actually, I kind of like that because that gives me a little bit of that. I, lo- I love doing the self-deprecating thing, so yeah. I can say, no, actually, I'm English, and I can throw. Like I do callbacks every now and then where we might be talking about something and, um, you know, I'll go, you know, so I tried this coffee from Australia, which by the way, as we spoke about earlier, isn't my homeland just to remind you, you know, just <laughs> throw little jokes in like that. Um, but yeah, the, the tall thing for those of you that are listening and watching on YouTube, I'm six, four, so I'm, I'm pretty tall. Oh. Wow. <laughs> yes. See, Je- Jean's never met you in person, so she doesn't She doesn't realize earlier. Um, yeah. So maybe we should have started with that, right? Yeah, and it doesn't help. I wear stilettos everywhere as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say, like, you know, you're when you Sam mentioned tall, for a second I'm like, wait, so does that mean, like, the chariot is just, like, a normal-sized office chair? Like, I got one of those gaming chairs, and, like, the top of the head at least goes, like, up to here for me, but you're actually... Over that, yeah, but so. Gene, you you could live in that chair. <laughs> That's true. I, like, so. I, I nap in it all the time. It's the most amazing thing ever. <laughs> this is actually one of those. This is really good. It's an IKEA chair, um, and it always 
hits the top 10 list of like the most comfy chairs and it's like the really big one or the really ba- big back so yeah i mean that's how tall i am for chair enthusiasts <laughs> i think that's called a marcus <laughs> ah there you I'm go i'm pretty sure it's called a marcus, marcus. So i've had a lot of i've had a lot of time during the this last <laughs> year to read up on really weird things um but one note i was going to make just just to, to end off talking about about sales is like obviously at launch we work with a lot of entrepreneurs that are foreign um that that thankfully they they trust the value that we bring to them and and over time we actually help bring them to to vancouver to be to be headquartered out of Vancouver. But a lot of times somebody I've, we've been working with and, and Gene can attest to this, we haven't met them for the first 12 months of our working relationship, mm-hmm. right? So so everything from you know getting them to commit to the program, getting us to commit to work with them, all that is done virtually and it, and it has been so from day one. And I'd say the number one thing for people that are struggling with, I guess what you can call virtual sales and virtual close is, is I think it's to remember two things. First is, if they're having a conversation with you, there's a reason for that. Either they have a pain point that you can help solve, or maybe reverse, you're trying to you're trying to pick their brain and, and you're trying to get your problem solved, right? Um, but mm. but most of the time, they want something that you may or may not be able to provide. So so the first thing is if you cannot provide it and you know this, walk away. And, and it's going to sound counterintuitive, but that's how you go to my second point is the entire purpose of you can call it a sales call. You can call it a meet or whatever. The entire purpose is to build trust. So Mm -hmm. if I'm on a call with Tom and I can't give Tom what he wants, the more I BS him about being able to provide his pain point, the less trust I'm going to have when he actually meets me in person. Right. And this just 10 X is because Tom can't actually see me and like, does Sam look like the sketchy looking guy or, or his jeans ripped or something like that? Like, like whatever it is that Tom uses to judge his, his, his trust, you know, spidey sense like that is 10 X because they can't see you. They can't, they can't, sometimes it's just a phone call. Right. Mm-hmm. But if, and that's like the number one thing that I've found that's most effective is, is being so brutally out of your way, honest mm-hmm. that like almost trying the anti-sale, right? Like, oh, I can't really help you because, you know, your coffee is bad and I can't fix that, right? Like, I don't know if right. you're going to go that blunt, <laughs> but but you, you know what I mean, right? Like, that's how you build trust. Um, and that, that's the second part is is the entire point is is to, for them to feel like they have an ally in solving that, whatever that pain point is, right? Yes, Absolutely. there's going to be, there's going to be monetary transactions or whatever it is. That's, that's business. That's reality. Everybody needs to make some money from something. Um, but, but if you can close those two key things, that's what I found most effective. Yeah. I, I mean, that's just good sales advice anyway, regardless of, <laughs> of being in front of someone like the no bullshit side of things. And it's yeah, sales, lots of people don't trust salespeople anyway. Um, but the no bullshit thing is just you know, like, why bother wasting your time trying to convince someone who ultimately might damage your brand because they get pissed off with you in the future and then bad math you to other people. I, I, I've said no to plenty of coffee shops. I've dropped coffee shops before that haven't been meeting the the standard that that shit's important you know you you can't it, it, i wouldn't say that you know one bad review and you're done kind of thing i truly don't believe that i think that you know people get a bit too obsessed over bad reviews but getting like a, a name for yourself as someone that's lied or i don't know bought on a bad coffee shop in my my situation like oh you know over a long enough period of time if you keep doing that that's terrible for your brand Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's super important to maintain that like brand integrity and even just like the moral integrity that you want to um put yourself in like mm-hmm. for me too like um whenever i like you know obviously i'm just like starting out so there's a lot of certain things i don't have or um sometimes quality of products are not always up to standard so i'm always trying to be um, informing my customers. Like just the other week, I've had issues with both of my suppliers with um, my products. One of them, the labels are falling off. (laughs) And so I was just like hand gluing all of them in. Um, The other one was that the numbers that identify the colors of the, um, the embroidery threads I smell, I sell, that's well, (laughs) Um, they came completely mislabeled as a totally different color. So, you know, obviously, like, I could have just gone ahead and just be like, hey, you know what, whatever, not a big deal. But um, when it comes to these 
small details. Like it's so important that you are upfront about them. I, it was actually kind of interesting because I posted this in several groups that um, are into like the whole hobby of cross stitching, and I found it interesting that a few other sellers. Um, based in the UK and stuff, kind of actually had more of like a, I, I don't want to like put them down, but their view on me, you know, posting about the mislabeling of these threads and such, they were kind of like, oh, you know, these things happen, like, don't make a big deal about it. And I'm like, how could you do that as like a business person? Like, you're receiving money from your customers, and they're trusting you that you're going to deliver what they're purchasing. So, you know, it's almost like it's very deceiving if you just knowingly sell something without being clear about it from the start, how they might be like, and the color is so important too, when it comes to these projects. So, I mean, I think, you know, honest business is always the best practice. Like your customers are eventually going to find out. And then word of mouth is really important. They might start telling other potential clients, like, you know what, they have really bad business practices. Don't go there. Um, they might like, you know, trick you or they're just going to take your money and run. Like <laughs> you ever know what kind of rumors can spread from that, you know? Call back to that uh, question you asked me earlier. What makes a good entrepreneur? What you're doing right there makes a good uh, entrepreneur. Um, you know, hey, it's going to be a complete pain in the ass for you to relabel everything mm-hmm. or to fix whatever problem it might be. But the fact is, is if you're the person that's doing that, then that makes you a better entrepreneur than the next person and hopefully makes you more successful at what you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So speaking of good entrepreneurs, we're going to slide over to Jean's favorite questions. So she asks uh, every single The wrap-up questions. Why do, I, why, why do you have kind of an evil look in your eyes when you said uh, that, Sam? That was like... Because I like uh-huh. to make fun of Jean because, because, I don't know, I'll let her ask the question first, but but everybody always tries to like... Like, like, I think it's a founder thing or, or it might be like a tech industry thing where like we ask for three people and they always give us five or they give us one or they don't <laughs> give real people at all. And they say things like Donald Duck. It's, it's absurd. The responses we get, but yeah, go ahead, Jean. But that's why it's kind of fun. Cause you get to like learn just a little bit more about your guests to see. Like, oh, and by you- the way, when Jean answered her <laughs> own question, she gave four answers or something like that. I still don't even know what the question is. So this is completely (laughs) confusing to me. (laughs) Go for it. All right. So the question is, if you could create a dream team of three people, whether they are dead, whether they are currently alive, celebrity, historian, totally a figment of your imagination, like who would those three people be and why, if you have a reason? Ooh. So this would be to create a team to, to make a company or? Sure, yeah, it could so be it simply could be or simple. whatever oh, yeah. you want. There you go. Ah, that is a question I haven't ever thought about the answer to. And, uh, <laughs> I'm probably not going to do a very good job of this. Um, okay, uh, let's think about what I'm trying to achieve with Sipley then. Uh, one of the things I want to um, inject more of is um, humor and sarcasm and self-deprecating stuff to, to make my marketing a little bit better uh there's a really good author i like called danny wallace maybe we can okay. involve him he's um incredibly sharp-witted he wrote the book called yes man um which there was a jim carrey film that was based on that where a guy says yes to everything for a year oh, it's one of my favorite yeah, books ever that. and he he does he, he does exactly that it's nothing like the film at all but he does mm-hmm. say yes to everything for a year and it's and it's awesome and the guy's written a, a ton of books <laughs> So let's let's involve Danny Wallace. Um, I sent him an email once years ago, and he never replied to me. So he didn't I don't... say yes. He didn't say yes. What a bastard! <laughs> um, he's cut. Get rid of him. I don't want him anymore. Um, okay, uh, let's. Jeez, somebody with deep pockets. You know, one thing that that uh, makes a good entrepreneur is the ability to get people to give you money, um, and um, and that is something that um, I'm working on right now. I'm looking at funding simply. So um, who, who's who got enough money but wouldn't be a pain in the ass about it? Because um, you couldn't get involved with someone like Jeff Bezos because he'd probably 
drain your blood and, and <laughs> well, you just buy up the whole coffee industry, which would defeat the purpose of you helping coffee shops in the first place, right? Yeah, he would do. He'd find a way to make it super evil. Um, <laughs> but then you couldn't have that like chaotic good of Elon Musk either, because that guy, that guy's madder than a bag of cats, and. and he, <laughs> So that's too much mad for you. I actually like the way Tom's going about this because we can actually talk through, you know, what what you're thinking because he doesn't want to sell coffee on on Mars, apparently. No, no. Um, So so it would have to be someone who uh, had some some pretty good traction into the investing world or or just like some some really deep pockets that like to throw his money around. Um, I don't know. Maybe we could do Elon Musk on that one. He, he's he's got some pretty cool cars that he could probably donate to the mix as well. Um, first coffee shop on Mars. That's one thing. Um, all right, we'll throw we'll throw Elon Musk in in there. Probably sell coffee out of a Cybertruck. Yeah, actually, I'd love one of those. I think they're brilliant. Um, who else we got then? Um, there's a. The, the, I could use some real coffee nerd, well connected coffee nerd. Um, power in in the company, global coffee nerd power. And there's a really decent YouTuber called James Hoffman who owns a big roastery in um, in London called uh, Square Mile. And he is he's become kind of the guy to go for go to for YouTube videos about about coffee. He'd probably be a really decent person to have on the team as well. Um, just for his connections around the world. He knows every single person in the coffee industry. I think they're kind of semi-boring answers really there. I haven't uh, – maybe throw in Donald Duck as well because that came up <laughs> earlier. He seems pretty cool. It'd be it would be fun to have around. Or like, you know you know what, uh, Rick from Rick and Morty. He, he would he would have some sort of ray gun that would just fix everything. That well, would it be like a mascot for you or something? Yeah, no, it would be it would be more for his scientific prowess. I think. Um, <laughs> do you guys watch Rick and Morty at all? It's uh, it's, do it's not pretty funny uh, adult cartoon. Uh, he's a scientist. In the picture between Rick and Elon Musk, you're gonna have a blast. <laughs> <laughs> I would die. I would basically die instantly. <laughs> so, from one so, of their so you're basically self self sabotaging yourself. But I, I, I kind of felt like when you were started talking, you would use the Hoffman pick. I've honestly spent more time watching his videos. Like he talks about the most minuscule things. He'll review like coffee filters, like literally the paper that your coffee goes through, and he'll spend like 15 minutes diving into it. And he has all wow. these like measuring apparatus to measure like. I don't know. I don't know the things he measures. TDS readers and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lots of funky (laughs) acronyms and, and, and whatnot. But like for some reason, his voice is just so soothing that like even without knowing his like resume and his background history, you're like, I feel like this guy knows what he's talking about. Yep. But definitely. So get imagine that, you know, he he turns around and says, you know, you should go out and buy Sibley. It's great for the following reasons. And for the next 25 minutes, I'm going to tell you why it's so great. Um, <laughs> that's what I need. That's the power I need. Yeah. And someone to roll his pockets. So someone with deep pockets to fund that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that'll do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. that. Great response. I actually liked it because usually when we ask these questions, like we don't get too much of like the thought process going behind it. But <laughs> really I great. was also like ninety five percent sure when you started talking about humor that you're going to go the Kevin Hart route, which like I think more than one person has dropped <laughs> on this show. I, I like Kevin, Kevin Hart, Hart, but I'm not the biggest fan. Like that. That's um. So so I I actually edged towards more um, uh, kind of really on the line humor, like edge of what's appropriate jim jeffries i I really like frankie boyle um jimmy carr these are all uh jim jeffries is an aussie and one's a scott one's a brit um they're you know this is the kind of stuff you can never use in marketing it's like you know someone's going to take a swing (laughs) at you eventually for saying the stuff that you say but i like i like people who are pushing the boundaries of of comedy but not in a way that would get people to turn against my brand and, and hate everything about Sipley. I mean, it's bad enough that I have fuck bad coffee as the first thing you see when you hit my <laughs> website and that raised a few brows, but it has kind of really brought in some people who want to want a different kind of experience of, uh, you know, you're just your, your generic coffee brand. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, I think just to kind of wrap things up, I don't think we can leave you here without some coffee recommendations. So, so just for everybody that's listening to this episode, um, I'm going to 
narrow things down just because I know there's a lot of global people that are listening to this episode as well. But just if you're in Vancouver, whether you live here or eventually when someday you get to travel here or whatnot, um, where where are you going for coffee and what are you drinking? And and maybe maybe come from the perspective of someone who who isn't is a coffee novice, let's say. Okay. Um, so I came a little bit prepared for, for this. Um, I bought some, some things with me. Um, there is a, there is a coffee roaster in Vancouver called pallet coffee roasters. And it's typically my go-to for, um, for if people want a really interesting espresso, but they're not that good at understanding what espresso is or an easy drinking filter coffee. I even had to make coffee specifically for my wedding so that I could give a bag of coffee to everyone. This is how much I, I think about them um, or how, how highly I think about them. So that's their logo there. This particular coffee is a little bit more, uh, um, uh, <laughs> not unapproachable, but it's not what I would consider an approachable coffee that, you know, just tastes like coffee. That one's got sorts of fruits and stuff like that going on in it. Um, but they have a really solid lineup of um kind of easy drinking, medium roast kind of coffees. Um, the other one that they go from really, really nice chocolatey caramel espresso mm -hmm. to the weirdest coffees you've ever seen in your whole entire life are these guys here. So this is House of Funk. These guys are in North Van. Uh, they, they sell their, uh, their cans of coffee. Uh, so sorry, those that are only cans. listening to this, we highly advise you to move over to our YouTube, just Google Launch Academy Bits and Bytes, and you'll find the episode. That's a good um, point. The link yeah. is probably going to be in the description, but like you, you kind of have to see this can. I can't really describe it for you. It's <laughs> well, well, it's called the House of Funk, right? But it's definitely yeah. there's no other word than funky to describe it's, it. It's very... <laughs> it's technicolored. It's um, I mean, it's in a tin. And I, I don't know when I last opened this, but let's see if we can get the sound to happen. Hang on. You hear that little pop there? So they have a little special gizmo here and it absorbs all the oxygen inside the, the tin so that when you um, come back to it after you know a week or so, it's sucked all the oxygen out, which is the stuff that makes coffee go stale um, and it keeps coffee fresh. So this, uh, th they have this, um, they have an espresso there, like I said, that's really solid. It's kind of my go-to recommendation for uh, iced lattes actually. It's really oh, nice and chocolatey and caramelly. Uh, this one in particular is uh, that I'm holding up to the camera for those of you that aren't watching on YouTube. Uh, this is a barrel aged coffee. So like I said, it gets pretty weird. Um, they put the green coffee into uh, either whiskey barrels. I think this is a wine barrel and it picks up all the weird flavors that you might find in a whiskey or a wine. And then they roast it and the coffee that comes out is just, it's, it's wild. It's so weird and funky and uh, fruity. And one of them the other day tasted like kind of whiskey. The other one tasted like mandarins. It's really bizarre. Um, but again, they have pour overs that are really, really accessible as well. Uh, sorry, filter coffees that are accessible. So you're kind of your, your lighter medium roasts there. Um, who else do we have a prototype? I don't have to show to the camera right now, but they have, that's a, that's a place that I would recommend people go to it. One, um, uh, the, the best coffee shop of the year on my Vancouver coffee snob blog. And the reason I'd recommend they go when they come for a visit is there's literally every single coffee you can possibly imagine for you in that shop. So they usually have five to probably seven different espressos on. They, they often have 15 different filter coffees available for you to choose from. So essentially you go in and you say, well, I really like this particular coffee or I like dark stuff or I like medium or I had this coffee once that tasted like blueberries or apples. And they'll probably have something for you to try that will kind of meet your needs there. Um, but for, for anything else, I would go to my Vancouver Coffee Snob blog and there's like a, a button at the top that will take what you to the What was the name end. of that store? Prototype. 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 Gotcha. Okay. And where's Prototype? Prototype is on Hastings. Um, do you know where the there's that big kind of shipping container building on Hastings just as you kind of are heading out into East Van before you get to Clark? Kind um, of. It's a colorful building on the left as you're, you're heading out of town. Mm -hmm. um, it looks like a bunch of shipping containers. It probably is. I don't know. Uh, it's just right there. Or by Strathcona Brewing, if you know that. Mm -hmm. Oh, I, I think I know. <laughs> There's like a, I, we had to go there for like storage once at my other job. So I think I know where it is. It's, it's around that area where all the breweries are. <laughs> or the, or the, the moment we mentioned yeah. brewing with Gene. 
<laughs> no further questions, Your Honor. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, just to, just to clean it up, I think your recommendations were Palette, which has multiple multiple locations in in I think various parts of Vancouver. Yeah, uh, House of Funk is in North Vancouver, yep. and then Prototype is in East Van Ish. East Van Ish. Um, yeah. 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 So so those are kind of Tom's recommendations. Um, all three, I think, which you can find on the Sipply app. If I'm not mistaken, correct. You can, yes. All so, three of so those. Go through and download that. That's your plug. <laughs> yep. GetSipley.com. GetSipley.com. Thank you so much, Tom, for for spending some time with us, hanging out with us. I think we definitely need to do this again. I know I say this every time, but like when we can meet again in person, we need to do more taste tests because I have some uh, new instant coffee to to try out with you. <laughs> I might have some better instant coffee for you. <laughs> I, I will have some like beans for you for sure. What if better is not the goal? <laughs> <laughs> then roll on COVID. Let's see how long we can stretch this thing out for. <laughs> All right. So, so yeah, like if you guys haven't, haven't already subscribed to this podcast, we, we come on every month. We have lots of cool guests like Tom. Uh, we want to go through with all different people in the tech industry. A lot of them obviously are founders and, and alumni at launch, but we also want to talk to, to different product managers. We want to talk to designers. We want to talk to biz devs, uh, rock stars that, that are, you know, making a difference in, in our cool kind of startup and tech community. Um, so, so yeah, we'll be back next month. Um, just stay tuned. And like I said, so subscribe, uh, follow our YouTube too. Cause a lot of times nowadays, I think, I think we just lack, uh, human interaction. So we, we've got the video going on. We want to show what's on our desk and whatnot. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Any final words, Gene, you want to wrap it up? No, it's been really, really great, Tom, having you on the show. And especially since you've already guested with us, it's great to see, you know, like um, what you talked about in the show last time you appeared and then how much has changed and how much Sip has like grown since then. So yeah, thanks for Thank sharing your time with us. And <laughs> hopefully we'll see me. you again, maybe another year from now, we'll do another check-in. <laughs> you bet. <laughs> All, right. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.